Digital Drift, episode 66, recorded Wednesday the 15th of April 2015, The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Now it's only a matter of time before this lost world is found and pillaged. Hopefully we've kept this island quarantined and contained, but I'm in shock about all this. Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. How was that? Go. As fast as you can. I need you to send rescue immediately. Taking dinosaurs off this island is the worst idea in the history of bad ideas. Let's get this movable beast underway. Don't move! What is it? Mommy's very angry. This is the sequel to one of the greatest and most important movies ever made. It's also my 849th favourite film. I've been kicking around the house, not looking forward to giving it the digital drift treatment in the run-up to Jurassic World. Whether the fourth film is terrible or brilliant won't change how I feel about this follow-up to the original and will be handling its far worse sequel next week. Joining me again on the Dinosaur Trail are my wife and co-host, Sharon Shaw. Hello. From Game Burst, Mr. Neil Taylor. That's one big pile of shit. <laughs> Save it for next week. And from an alternate view on movies and Game Burst, it's James Perkins. How many Jameses do you think are on this island? Uh, you eventually <laughs> intend to have dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour? Hello? <sighs> now, I went back into this one fully in the knowledge that it's not as bad as everyone said back in 1997 when it was released. And in more recent times, a new generation have reappraised and found it wanting. It is most definitely wanting, but it's not Jurassic Park 3. That being said, rather than ragging on it for an hour, we can maybe get to the bottom of why it's not in the same league or even in the same sport as the original. My contention is that it's in the structure and execution and tone and pacing. So I suppose the best way to tackle this is not by character because those don't really matter, nor by incident because each of those is used to nudge a dinosaur out into the stage with a stick. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're best off covering each element of the film and weigh up its strengths and weaknesses. If you look at this as a shelter, or a bivouac, if you will, that a group has put together, we need to find out why it's leaking rainwater all over our supplies, not complain about the rain itself. Neil, you weren't here for that first show. Um, It was great, great fun, and uh, went on for ages, and Josh was here, and uh, we talked about all of these brilliant, brilliant bits in the original Jurassic Park, and we did it incident by incident. But as I said, there's no point going incident by incident because, I mean, talking about hitting the ground running, they're just like, right, there was another park. Just, just, let's just get everyone on it. Yeah, another island. Yeah, go! Dinosaurs, check it out. That's <sighs> pretty much the tone of the first uh, act of this uh, this film. So, I mean, 
Um, first off, Neil, uh, do you want to tell us what you think of the original? Because, I mean, it'll it'll be kind of iteration on what we said, but just so that we know where you stand on it. Okay, the shorthand, the first film is probably one of my favourite films of all time. Agreed. It is one of the films I point to when I say when you do special effects, this is how you do it. This is how you marry CGI and practical effects to make something that I think generally still holds up pretty well. I don't remember too much cases of millennial rubber in there. Very little. Uh, we all said that you'd uh, you'd say that, and uh, we were like, "This is the um, the, the film that we that I hold up when whenever you go CGI will never be as good as um, uh, as uh, practical." It's it's an excellent example of when practical can't quite manage absolutely everything. CGI is really great for filling in the gaps. Yeah, this is this is exactly this is what shows you how this is a how to use CGI film. Yeah, uh, it it shows you that it, CGI isn't the be all and end all. It is a tool in the filmmaker's yeah. arsenal. Um, I highly recommend it if you go to I can't remember. I think it's the Stan Winston School on YouTube. Uh huh. They have been putting a lot up a lot of behind the scenes stuff of them making the things go and watch the t-rex video because that thing is crazy beautiful Mm. uh, in terms of its look its design it's just a someone built that and it is i would say that is actually a work of art yeah it's not a prop it is a work of art it is it's absolutely awesome but yeah i i I truly truly love this film Uh, well the original film that leads me on to my horrible, horrible love-hate relationship with this film. Because I both love this film and hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the things I said to you on Twitter is, I know the books very well. Yeah. I know the books Wasn't Crichton well. pressured into uh, making this one after the first uh, film he did was. Gangbusters? They were like, write, write a sequel. And I don't want to write a sequel. Write a sequel! And then he we'll wrote, do a film about it. He wrote a really good sequel. Oh, yeah? It's, it, he wrote uh, a big chunk of the original Jurassic Park if you try to read that has a lot of the science behind it in it mm-hmm. which is the slog part mm-hmm. the, the adventure part is still there the character part is still there characters who survive in the film don't survive the book though yeah we talked about that Malcolm uh, was like they, they just, like shook his head and went no don't ask about Malcolm terrible things happened to Malcolm and he retconned that for the sequel he did he, he, thanks to Jeff Goldblum Malcolm became so popular he actually retconned the fact that he died oh nice to be fair, it, it is literally said in a throwaway line when uh, Alan, Grant, and... Ellie. They're, they're on the uh, island of Costa Rica in the hotel at the end of the first book, and it's like, uh, oh, can we go home? And it's like, oh, no one's going home. We'll send the kids home, but you're going to be answering a lot of questions to the US government. It's basically, what about Malcolm? Didn't make it. That's it. That was yeah. the line. Yeah. Also, the dinosaurs behave slightly different, but what Crichton did with the second book is make a really good sequel mm-hmm. with interesting characters interesting Mm -hmm. plot that closed off the Jurassic Park story very well because Dodge for example Dodgen gets his comeuppance in the book we never hear or see from Lewis Dodgen ever again we got Dodson here he he nobody cares Nedry said himself (laughs) yeah it's actually funny they use his fate in the film and they use a few bits of the Lost World most notably the the trailer sequence with the two T-Rexes that's actually from the book uh, the opening sequence at the start of the film is actually from the first film, uh, from, from the first book. Sorry. Yeah, the, with the uh, it's slightly changed, but the compi stuff is actually. Uh, Can anyone the, pronounce the full word that, uh, for compies? Procomsignathus triassicus. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> That's as close as I can get. 
Uh, interestingly, they they really do a number on. The, they basically ignore the book. They they, do? they really they take very few bits from the book. Uh, What's the point of making Crichton write a book and then not using it? It's because you can get a really, really good book. And I, I, if you like podcasts, go to Audible, go get The Unabridged Lost World. It is a really, really good book that explains why there's a Site B, for example. I don't think I, they ever actually explain why there's a Site B in this film. Or if they do, it's so I think they, they say, Hammond says, oh, we, we breed them on Site B and then we move them to, to, uh, the, uh, to, to the park. Um, but, you know, the, the, the park is very much the showcase. This is the factory floor. That is literally it. It is a factory uh, because the the yield that they need to produce a viable specimen. Basically, they have to make hundreds and hundreds of eggs to get like so many alive creatures. So that's why this is the factory floor. This is great. I'm glad. I'm so glad you're here for this one because I mean, like uh, the the book stuff uh, kind of was was important for the original film, but the film is so great it stands up on its own. With this one, there's very much a what was going on. Well, it's like in the book, Ingen's gone. Yeah, it's 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 bio sin, isn't it? Who who come in to uh, to clean up? Basically, yeah. And the the, the build up is the fact that there's Malcolm knows what's going on, and this other guy uh, whose name the character's name escapes me is uh, is basically trying to find out, and he organises an expedition, and they actually end up in the park. Well, if you think, if you remember in the original Jurassic Park book, Hammond died, so there's none of this sort of Hammond sending anyone in this se- in this second one. Yeah, there's, there's, no, they, they they go to find it because basically the idea is, even though they're genetically created, they've been left alone mm-hmm. on the island for I think it's like a five years or something. Mm-hmm. So they've had chance to sort of actually adapt and be like wild animals now, and that's why they want to go. Uh, the film sort of amalgamates quite a few characters as well. Uh, Malcolm's daughter is actually an ma- amalgamation of... Two kids? Two kids from the book. Also. Um, <laughs> poor old Richard Schiff. Um, he's an amalgamation of two characters. Sharon well. said the, the, there were... Well, uh, Sharon said it was really awful seeing Richard Schiff being dumb. And I was like, is it worse that he's dumb or that he's eaten? And I thought, actually, it's worse that he's dumb... Or, or, like, it's worse that he's hapless, because he keeps falling over and stuff like that. You never got to see Samuel L. Jackson falling over in the mud and spluttering around the place. You just, like, you, you assume he's dead, but he's not. Because, like, uh, Malcolm actually says, you covered up the deaths of three people. Okay, folks, get your fingers out. Let's count, shall we? Nedry, yeah, Nedry's dead, definitely. Nedry uh, is dead, yes. Uh, what's his name? Um, Bob, Bob Peck... So, Muldoon. Muldoon is dead. Clever girl. Yeah! And um, Gennaro, the lawyer, he is totally dead. That means only three people died, which means Samuel L. Jackson walked off that island with one arm swearing. Yeah. And possibly an eye <laughs> With the cigar in his mouth. Like we, like we said last week, with the cigar in his mouth, and then he went off to do Absolutely. a bit bigger things. Uh, another possibility is that they didn't know Nedry died, but, you know, Nedry disappeared. He died. They, they would have found bits of him. Well, in that car. Sorry, carry on. Um, I, I, I interrupted. You were talking about um, poor Richard Schiff, and yeah, it's it's worse that that he um sort of falls around in the mud because he. If you've ever seen The West Wing, watching him here as just being this sort of fairly meek tech nerd, it's you know it it adds extra scope to this whole. Are you telling me that I could uh, disrupt this plane with something I bought at Radio Shack that first speech in that first episode? Yeah. Uh, the the other guy's name I was trying to think of was Richard Levine, um, but uh, Richard Schiff is basically playing an amalgam of 
uh, Jack Thorne and Eddie Carr. Eddie Carr. Eddie, Eddie Carr is the assistant. I think that's the name they give him in the film, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. he's Eddie Carr. And he's he gets Car- killed in a car. He, I think he... I think... I can't remember if it's Eddie or Thorne. One of them dies pretty much... That, that trailer sequence is beat for beat pretty much from the book. Oh, okay. So... Um, it's a good sequence. It is. And you know what's not in the book? Um, gymnastics? Well, no gymnastics. Um, <laughs> Ingen turning up and taking the dinosaurs to the mainland. Yeah. There's none of that. That the the ho- we'll talk about. You know what? Shall we hold back on the whole Godzilla sequence because that's what it is for the yeah. final act of this podcast. Yeah. Because we've got to make it not fit with everything else that we're talking about. Because that uh-huh. way it'll be very much like the movie. The film. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Although it, it leads to some very nice, very there's some sequence was where you can go. Oh, yeah, you can tell that Spielberg did a, quite a fair bit of poltergeist because there's some eerie stuff with that boat. There's some nice eerie shots, some nice well-done shots in there. But, yeah, no, it, it basically the story is about basically two groups of people on the island. One of the, the other group contains Lewis Dodgson. And like I said, we get the whole comeuppance for the what? disaster that happened at the park. Do you remember what happened to Dodgson in the book? Um... Do you know what happens to oh what's the character's name the the Mal- uh, the son that's in- how much it uh, it sinks in like all of these fantastic Ludlow. characters Ludlow yeah. yeah you know what happens to Ludlow um, as in like he, he yeah. uh, tries to get the baby Rex and then the uh, daddy Rex um, like bites his leg and then goes go on he's my special boy and then sends in the uh, the little kid Rex to eat him yeah that pretty much basically as um, I think it's uh, Malcolm says in the book hunting lesson ooh. Yeah, there's actually two baby T-Rexes in the book. Does Malcolm in the book talk like um, Malcolm... Um, I, I don't remember Malcolm in the original book talking like... Um, he doesn't know. Jeff Goldblum. Does <laughs> no, he, Malcolm in The Lost World talk like uh, Malcolm in the film? Because now that he had um, an actor to go by, he could have gone, oh, actually, he's a little bit more um, funny. No, no he, he, he's still quite serious because he, he, he's kind of trying for the longest part to put put them off going but he sort of realizes it's inevitable that they're going to end up on the island i suppose he just looks at chaos theory and goes oh I've, inevitably people are going to end up on the island but a lot of it, 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 it the, i would recommend the book the book is really 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 good all right then um okay so we'll go to let's go to let's go to tone first actually that's one of the things that bugs me the most about this film um, the the bit at the beginning with the little girl, and you know she finds the uh, creatures is actually really kind of uh, well done, and it's uh, it's scary and it's horrible. When they start jumping at you, you're like oh my god, this is like 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 that bit in in Jaws where they kill the kid in Jaws, and it's like you're gearing up for this really horrible scene. You know, like you know when I was in nineteen ninety seven, I was actually shift like looking at the rest of the audience, thinking, are you guys going to be okay with this? Um, and then the mum comes in and goes. <gasps> And does like a scream queen scream, which oh, I'd say it's completely the Mc- deflates the entire scene. She does the Kevin McAllister scream. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it immediately cuts to Jeff Goldblum yawning. And it's yeah, a really great way of kicking your own film in the bollocks. The, the, the transition just didn't work. Rewatching it again, I was like, uh, okay. 
that was completely... It never bothered me so much, because I was focusing on the events more than the tone, but I was really analysing it this time, and it just, it's it's a way of, like, undercutting yourself dramatically to go, it's all right, kids, it's all silly, it's all people being killed by dinosaurs, even little girls. Okay, so moving on. And then, like, eight minutes later, Hammond says, oh, no, no, it's okay, she's fine. And you're like, oh, I guess she's fine then. That's a really weirdly placed moment to find that out. But, um, but yeah, that tone continues for the whole of the film. There's this really kind of uneasy, do you know what you want to see, folks? You want to see idiots getting eaten by dinosaurs and then bumbling around like Burks and getting killed. That's not why people went to see the first film. They went to see the dinosaurs, not the carnage. This film has an incredibly high body count. It's nasty. <laughs> yeah, it's nasty. And and, and that's it, technically, in tone, far closer to the original Jurassic Park, which was nasty, with more gruey descriptions of, of, uh, of lingering, um, almost sadistic deaths by dinosaur of, uh, but from people, where they're, they're mutilated and they're awake enough to realise their own mutilation. It does tongue-in-cheek nasty though it does yeah. nasty that it immediately tries to deflate after that scene's finished yeah so any semblance of tension is just gone and i was actually thinking at one point i can't and remember it's only exactly what was going on and it's only idiots that killed anyway so you don't care you actually want them to die it's suddenly like a, a jason well, apart from eddie oh yeah you didn't want eddie to die but no. but and like the it, little girl at the beginning but then yeah, you didn't want her to die either, but but she didn't die. That's that's the thing. And no, it, but yeah, then after that, it's only inverted commas bad guy. But Eddie's a, a, a terribly dissatisfactory kill anyway. It feels like he could yes. have avoided that. Very, very easily. <laughs> to be fair, but, the um, only reason you know what, to work out why Eddie gets killed, you, I hate to say this, read the book. It explains why the T-Rex has come back. Mm. Sure, the okay, short you, you, you have to just like assume no one's read the book now. All right, fair, fair enough. The book basically says that the roar of the car engine sounds like a challenge to the T-Rex, ah. so they mistake the car engine as a roar of challenge. Henceforth, they attack the car and kill Eddie. Gotcha. Right, so is is it the speech about the T-Rex's owning this new piece of territory, is that in the book as well? Is that a, a reason behind them yeah. coming back as well, as well as the, the roar of the car? I don't think so, but it has been a while since I've gone through the book. It's 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 four hundred thirty pages. It takes yeah, time because that's how that's that's how they. Uh, yeah, but the, that's the, how it comes across. They, they sort of force them to move on. Uh, the the initial a lot of that scene and what leads up to that is, like I said, is beat for beat from the book. The, the, how we arrive at those events is different. But baby T Rex is injured. They try to set the leg. Obviously, mummy is not particularly happy that someone took her baby and mm. come to get baby back. They 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 knock the trailers off the the cliff and you get that sort of sequence again and the car stuff happens and I th- I think it's Eddie is killed in the book. I think it's weird like the the dinosaurs are the heroes in this film and the 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 greedy money grubbing um, ingen types are, uh, are the ba- the baddies and and then seeing them killed is actually oddly satisfying. It shouldn't really be like that. You shouldn't be cheering the raptors. <laughs> like, don't go into the long grass, he shouts, running, running into the long into grass. The long grass. And then the, like... then the heroes do the same thing immediately afterwards and are somehow saved because of their narrative-defying powers. <laughs> yeah. They're saved through the fact why good guys. Yeah. Um, but uh, like the the bit where the, uh, the 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 Mexican guy falls in a puddle and then like, the T Rex is moving towards him, and he goes. <gasps> 
and the T-Rex steps on him and then crushes him and then walks along with him stuck on his shoe like a piece of gum and like then sort of leaves him dead in a puddle. And I think you're supposed to laugh, but I just went, oh, God. <laughs> in the most recent episode, <laughs> in the most recent viewing of it. But yeah, it's, I mean, like, that should be funny. It's like the, later on, the, the, the dog, the, the, oh. the dog, the dog, the dog thing is no, so don't, stupid. You know what? Don't hold back, because that's all related to this bit that doesn't fit with the rest of the film. <laughs> but I'm trying to keep us on point here, on tone. Yeah. <laughs> Why? The film doesn't, and that's the big problem Well, that's the it. thing. We have to be better than the film. <laughs> uh, if, we, if we are as slapdash as this film, then it won't get reviewed, because <laughs> it didn't really happen, <laughs> the film itself. You, you could play the film through at double speed with the Benny Hill music in the background, <laughs> and it, it would work as a piece of entertainment, and that is never a good thing. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I like, I kind of like this film. It's, it's not a bad, bad film. It's just, I, I almost kind of wish it was like a, a Jurassic Park knockoff. Mm. You know, like it was, it was just called The Lost World. And it, it was, like, from some people who were trying to do Jurassic Park, but, like, this time we're going to do it with a lot more blood. And, um, and you know, just uh, just letting go for it. Because, like, no one else has really done dinosaur films, aside from this, if we're not talking, apart from Super Mario Brothers and Dis- oh. Disney's Dinosaur. And then there's that T-Rex that turns up in Meet the Robinsons. But pretty much that's it. Oh, no, there's a few more if you know where to look. Carnosaur. <laughs> the first one was okay. I haven't actually got through the others. Hey, what fear was the first carnosaur was okay. Yeah, right. Uh, bear in mind, I haven't seen that since I was uh, yeah a lot younger. <laughs> so, like the same year as Jurassic Park, and I also read the book. <laughs> Double. Yeah, the, <laughs> there, there's some creepy ass shit in there. Yeah. yeah. The, the trouble is, it's, mm, dinosaurs are always another one. You, they should be popular. I don't know a little kid that doesn't love dinosaurs. Yeah. Why are there not more dinosaur games and films? Is there too many Xanteriads in the world who hate dinosaurs? I mean, it it shouldn't be too difficult to somehow work dinosaurs in the modern day. I mean, I suppose they shouldn't really be on this earth. So it's kind of got to be... Well, the thing is that Crichton pointed out uh, you can only really do dinosaurs if in the modern day if it's related to the entertainment industry because there's no military application for them at the moment. (laughs) Urban pacification? If we ever talk about the ideas that they had for the fourth film that never made it, we'll be thankful for that. Same like like dinosaurs with guns in them. There was the the dinosaurs guns with guns grafted onto them. There was the weird human dinosaur hybrid story. Oh God! You, there was a lot of you. You read the idea and you would still think it was the eighties and the studio executives were still on crack. Or that it was one of those like uh, cable like thousand dollar movies with uh, CGI to match. Anyway, back on point. Um, so, right, tone. I think we've we've already established is all over the place. They don't really seem to know what they're doing. They also. This also ties in with pacing. As I said, um, uh, Malcolm, we get introduced to him, then he gets summoned to uh, um, Hammond. I love the bit where Joseph Mazzello in the uh, extras said uh, that he was on set for like a couple of hours. That's Timmy from the first movie. And that paid for his college education. And he was he, he loved just being there. Um, and it paid for his college. And it was like a, a wonderful kind of thank you. So um, I love seeing them again because it kind of shows that they weren't so horribly traumatized by the events that they sort of grew up these nervous crackheads 
So yeah, that, that's kind of a nice reassuring, like a link to Hammond. Also, it's so lovely seeing Dickie Attenborough again. I, I love the fact that he survived the first film and that he gets to be, Malcolm points out that he's now a naturalist, like he suddenly really cares about the dinosaurs. And it's not like he didn't really care about the dinosaurs. And if you look carefully, the arc is there in the first one. By the end of it, he's like he doesn't want to leave the island because he's afraid that they're not going to survive without him. And then that starts him on a track of caring about the dinosaurs. And so, you know, him being the sort of like trying to keep them safe seems like a natural progression for a character who otherwise would have died at that point. He's imprinted on them as much as they've imprinted on him. Yeah. Talking about uh, Richard Attenborough, I watching the special features for this mm-hmm. and Steven Spielberg mentioning that if he if himself was to come back and do and direct another one he would love for Richard Attenborough to make an appearance and obviously that uh, was obviously recorded years ago when they when they produced these special features for the original ones yeah probably like 20th anniversary or something the the DVDs Um, came out around about Jurassic Park 3 right okay so yeah so only just under 10 years and watching that now obviously with the passing of Richard Attenborough brought a tear uh, an actual tear to my eye and I was just thinking that it could have been so great bringing him back for another one but obviously that's never going to happen now so I hope I know this little bit sidetracked but I hope that there is something in Jurassic World that is a nice throwback and even just a little picture of it p- pay of respect or like a, a, I know it may sound a bit cheesy but like a statue just saying because obviously they've continued his dream wouldn't so, be the first uh, time Dan Amelia gets a statue and uh, Sean Connery gets a picture in uh, uh, Indiana Jones Kingdom of the Crystal Skull yeah, so I, I hope there is some sort of payment of respect in the new Jurassic world. So do I. Yeah. I do too. He, he was a very lovable character. He's actually oh, much yeah. more likable than Hammond in the book. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that one, the last thing is, uh, yeah, the, Hammond, uh, as you remember, folks, gets horribly killed by Compy, something which happens to Peter Stormare in this one. There's a well, Peter Stormare as well. He always seems to get grisly deaths. Yeah, Spielberg said that it was a revenge for, for all of those people who got killed in Fargo. It's like, you do know he's not actually that guy. Anyway, but there's a weird disconnect with me for this because Peter Stormare and Julianne Moore were in The Big Lebowski together. So for some reason it feels like Maud, Lebowski and Uli have been displaced and are now on this island. And Uli, he's a nihilist. And he's still... Just as much of an asshole in this. As we said in the, the first one, Nedry's death was like really comedic and well timed. His is just really creepy and horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and nasty. I, yeah. I think he I think Spielberg tries to use his death to show that everything is dangerous on the island, yeah. even the small little cute looking dinosaurs. Yeah, the, the cute things, but when they turn it right at the beginning, I was like, oh, I forgot how cute these little compy were, but how incredibly dangerous they are at the same time. It it's almost wonderful feel, design. It almost feels like Spielberg went with the second one, like, right, you, you thought all these dinosaurs were nice and lovely, well, let me show you how dangerous they all are, because even the, the Stegos at the start yeah. sort of attempt to kill Julianne Moore. Yeah. Um... Yeah, the, the, actually seeing the Stegosauruses at the at the beginning is one of my uh, favourite bits because they're a new animal and they're unveiled with that same level of reverence as the first one. I think after that it starts to snowball and steamroller downhill and as soon as the InGen guys arrive, here's the problem. As we established in the first, the wonder of the people involved and the kind of nerdiness and how passionate they are about it is what sells 
why the first one is special because you're along with them for the ride. These guys turn up, they're like, ah, fucking dinosaurs, just shoot them. You know, it's like, it's almost like they've worked around dinosaurs their whole lives. They're sick of them. A lot of them really haven't seen dinosaurs before. And so you do, like, you want the, the dinosaurs to, to get back at them. But at the same time, that sucks the majesty out of the dinosaurs themselves. Although there is one highlight when InGen turn up. Mm-hmm. Pete Postlethwaite. Oh, yeah. Pete Postlethwaite yeah. is great. Again, sadly departed, but uh, Roland so, Tenbo, the great white hunter. But I, I think... Hang on, Neil was going to say something. I was just going to say, I, I just love Pete Postlethwaite, so seeing him turn up in this film always makes me smile. Yeah, me too. Sharon? The, uh, the wonder and how it's responded to by the characters is a, a massive part of why this doesn't work for me. And I think it's it's kind of epitomized by when the stegosauruses turn up and you've got um a very tall Jeff Goldblum, a slightly less tall Vince Vaughn stood next to him, and a slightly less tall um Richard Schiff stood next to him, like the three flipping wise monkeys staring <laughs> at these uh, stegosauruses. And it just they're, they're Richard Schiff like, goes like, Wow, and wow. then it moves on. Because it's like, well, you've all seen them, okay? The dinosaurs. So let's get, let's make with the dinosaurs, yeah. But there's there's no scene setting. There's, you know, they're literally straight into the right. Let's get to the people being hit and killed by dinosaurs. Also, they introduce you to Sarah when she's on the island, and she's she's like, she picks up her relationship with Ian. Like again, she hits the ground running. She's like, oh hey Ian, how, I'm just going to tell you about all of these uh, mating habits that they've got. And she's like talking his ear off, and you're like, hang on a second. She's really enthusiastic about this. Wouldn't it have been better had we got to know her before she reached the island? And for her yes. to be, like, upset, like, oh, Ian, you've been telling me for, like, four years now. I, I have got to see this for myself. I am so excited. Just, like, for you to be, at least for one person, for this to be a, an exciting journey for. Um, and, and, and for you to, like, sort of examine the relationship between Ian and her and his daughter. Um outside the dinosaurs rather than just like mashing everyone in together like there's no ceremony getting them to them they're just on a boat and it's like we will not go near the island see it is cursed and then they, then the uh, the boatmen leave and oh by the way it's it's not massively kind to mexicans in this movie the uh, peter stormer's mate like this stereotypically lazy mexican sitting eating his lunch like with his headphones on like no, I know, I know, see my friend. And then just wanders off without him. And he's the one who gets stamped on by the Rex. I know they're not saying that about every Mexican. But uh, there's a reason that uh, the fact that Hispanic audiences actually outnumber white audiences in America for cinema going now. It's rather important that you present them with decent identifiable characters. Mm. And, you know, maybe everybody else as well. But, uh, yeah, just carry on, sorry. Um, and they, they, so, yeah, they, they, they get dumped on the island. They drive across the island. They meet Sarah Harding. They see some stegosauruses, and then we're off. And it's, like, just, like, business, business, business. Numbers? Yeah. It's it, working. No. I, th- <laughs> I, I, think, I think Malcolm, there's a line Malcolm says that actually sums this film up. Uh, oh, yeah. First there's oohs, ahs. That's the how it always starts. Screaming. <laughs> there's the running and the screaming. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually the, uh, the the only wild goose chase where the geese chase you. He's got some great lines, and uh, David Kep certainly uh, um, has a fun little script. David Kep actually turns up at the end in a little cameo. Yeah. We'll talk about I that at the end. <laughs> I will say that Malcolm actually is a much better choice for a lead character than Alan Grant was. More so the third film than the, the first film. 
Um, Alan Grant's literally the, uh, no, boring. He, well, yeah, he's boring, but there's something that Grant has a an earnestness to him. Malcolm's hoping, oh, I think dinosaurs and they're scary. Like it, it, it's his weariness sucks the uh, <clears throat> tension out of the situation. And his mm's don't help. But the, uh, that's more um, gold bloom than anything. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, don't mistake um, character for, for dialogue. This has a fractionally better script than three. Um, oh, God, so it's way better than three. I think, um, you know, Goldblum comes across better than uh, Sam Neill does in the third one just because he has more to work with. Mm, uh, yeah. Well, the acting's pretty good. Vince Vaughn turns up. He's this sort of indie darling, having just done Swingers, looking all hot. And uh, <laughs> they like they sort of they seed everything in this film. They go, oh yeah, he used to work at Greenpeace, and then he starts breaking up cages slightly afterwards. And then like you know they, they mention her lucky pack, and then she gets saved by her lucky pack, and it's like oh it's the lucky pack, and then Jeff says. It's your lucky pack. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, that was a nice little touch, but okay. You can just tell us that as well. It's fine. And like they, they tell us what's going to happen, then it happens, and then they tell us that it happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go, now, did everybody get that? Okay, okay let's cool. move on. Let's move on, yeah. And uh, so, like, pretty much everything that gets mentioned, like, oh, you were cut from the gymnastics team? I wonder if... <sighs> and... Like, that bit with the gymnastics, we'll jump straight to that, because why not? All it really required was for her to go, okay, I've got to save my dad. I've got one second. There's a bar in front of me. And she jumps across, grabs the bar, and double kicks the raptor out the window, and then lands relatively safely, and Goldblum says, you were kicked from the gymnastics team? And everyone would go, ah, oh, okay. Well, that actually kind of makes sense that she would use her skill at that point. What you did not need to see was, A... Her, like, flipping and swinging and going round and round on two exactly perfectly placed th- professional athletic parallel bars. Exactly the one, like, just to get some wind up to it. It's ridiculous! <laughs> and you definitely didn't need to see a raptor impaled on a bit of wood going, ah! And there's this one really kind of troubling bit where um, they approach the compound and then a raptor jumps out of nowhere, jumps onto Julianne Moore, thunders her to the ground. And looks like he's about to start eating her. Jeff Goldblum has one second to react. And his immediate reaction is to push his daughter back and say, oh, no, 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 stay back, stay back, he's going to feed. She gets away because the raptor went for her pack instead. But then there isn't this conversation where she goes, right, Jeff Goldblum, there was that bit when I was about to be eaten and you could have rushed in and tried to kick the raptor off me or done something to get him off my back. Precisely what part of fuck all did you think was a grand contribution to saving your girlfriend? No, 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 no. Okay, I'm packing my bags, my lucky bags, the moment we get home. Okay? Okay. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of people sort of rag on that. A lot of people also go, how come Jeff Goldblum's daughter is black? Because he had a black girlfriend or wife. It's not rocket science. <laughs> For some people, apparently it is. Yeah. Okay. And to be fair, she's she's not bad as an actress. No, she's not, actually. She's not. I mean, she's a little bit like she goes from being kind of, well, why did you start the fire? To being, well, why are you panicking? To being, okay, so you kind of held it together at the right amount of time and you didn't go, i got to get out of here. i got to get out of here. For too much, she could have actually ended up being really annoying. 
She panics less than Lex. Yeah. Yeah. Less screaming. Mm. Lex is oddly endearing, though, because she mm. uh, ends up bickering with her brother as well. But uh, I don't know that she's endearing too. Oh, it's so hard to find your place with this film if you sort of lose your way because it's all just like people running and screaming and dinosaurs it's and, so, yeah. and the hurting and the biting, Laven. And that's when they run into the uh, behind the waterfall, and that guy, like a snake, asps, "Very dangerous. You go first." <laughs> crawls into his jumper and he goes ah, ah, it's a snake it's down my jumper and lurches conveniently into the arms of the T-Rex and actually extends his arm upwards so that the T-Rex can grab him and yank him out of there and then it all goes all red <sighs> that bit with the waterfall was actually in the original book as I recall the T-Rex basically nearly got um, Alan, Lex and Tim in there yeah it's actually a lot more gruey oh yeah that was Okay, right. Yeah, here's one thing. Um, originally in the uh, in the first film, there were 16 CGI shots to make up for the various bits where they couldn't actually use um, practical effects. Now that actually seems remarkably low, especially by today's standards. And when if you watch the film with a clicker, you'll you'll count those 16. And you you know you can tell the difference if you're looking, but usually they're pretty smoothly applied. In this, there was like 115. CG shots of the dinosaurs, and some of them were extreme, were extremely ropey, as you said. With the first one, it, it was so smooth, as I mentioned last week. Watching it on Blu-ray, it was difficult to tell what was real and what wasn't. It was so well done, yeah. and the the sheer quantity of CGI effects in this really took me out of it in in some regards. I know, obviously, uh, some of the shots were impossible to do with practical, mm. but it just didn't seem to flow like the first one. And there's a particular scene in obviously the end, which we're going to talk about in a bit, uh, which I was, was ridiculous in its own way. <laughs> I think not just the whole bit of the end. If you consider ridiculous. that the first film is the dance of the seven veils and the, the build up to it's over an hour of did it, did it, was that a did it, did it, no, did you see a did it, did it, bit of nipple, did it, did it, and then like it, it really times it perfectly so that you re- like you're tantalized and so that like you make the most of the dinosaurs. This woman comes out completely billy bollocks, jiggling her titties around, going, Have you seen these? They go this way, they go that way, <laughs> and it's just like she is totally naked. And you go, okay, like I'm done, pretty much. Oh, we still got an hour and a half left. <sighs> okay, uh, music was admirable. It's uh, it's got um, the, that really great sort of rousing uh, King Kong style. Uh, da, 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 going on, which is good. Uh, and then the rest of it is all. Oh, excuse me. Kind of boring and forgettable. <laughs> Timing, nice. Steven Spielberg actually said, "I actually prefer this uh, this second one. It's got a lot more complexity to it." You're wrong, Steve. The uh, the first one's way way better, much more memorable, a lot more feeling to it, a lot more different tones and themes, and like just because it's more complex doesn't mean it's better. It's a lot more triumphant in the first one. I did like the touch though when Vince Vaughn uh, gets into the the center. Yeah. And the site of the explorers, yeah, yeah, the uh, the the faint bit of the, of that theme coming in with the sort of the dreary tone behind it as well. That was a, that was a nice a nice touch. But yeah, the as Steve the, said, the, the uh, sport- it kind of makes you want to watch the first movie. Yes, yes, it does, Steve. 
Yep, I might go. Not and do a good that idea. Again. While you're in the middle <laughs> of your, well, the last act of your not as good sequel. I was just sat there thinking he's kind of like Spielberg's in autopilot mode for this film yes. and I was just you know, what was he what, what he else he just was finished working? Amistad he oh, wanted yeah, to have some fun Ryan, that would explain it same for Ryan and Amistad, <laughs> and Amistad yeah. as well he just, I completely understand why he just want to mess about but he didn't put his heart into this one and David Kep did not did not adapt suitably the book into like the first time he he adapted the book into something that the whole family could enjoy and love and would actually be classic in a way that the original source novel maybe the whole family can't enjoy um mm. it's a it's a little harsh but um this one I mean, technically the family could enjoy it, but they're going to need kind of a black sense of humor and no particular interest in the characters because that's i mean it's it's just a knockabout really. I think that's it. This is a very almost inconsequential film, but the first one isn't. There's something very special, not just about the film itself, but right. the story and everything it's telling in the first one. Whereas this one's just like, oh, yeah, uh, we'll go back. More of that. Kind of do you like, do you like that? How about that? <laughs> on, on that subject, do you think that was inevitable? Because no. the first one, it's like this big reveal of dinosaurs. Once that's been done and the, the load has been blown, as it were, do you think that it was impossible for them to recreate no. that? No. You go for a different tone, you go for a different feeling to it, but you make it nonetheless special. You you put your heart into it, and you get a different focus. Maybe it's someone who has been living on the island with the dinosaurs for a long, long time, and that person's attachment to them. Um, mm. You know, the, I, I I don't want to start talking about Chris Pratt's attachment to his raptor buddies yet, but that seems that's <laughs> kind of a good way to go. Um, I may be proven terribly wrong in a, in a, a moment, but ultimately, g- this was workmanlike like if the first yes. one's a ride this one's what is this one this one's like a uh this one's a come and clean out the dinosaur stable no this one's like you know i always no, I, that's three I always, <laughs> I always wanted to open a door to where people are being trained like in those james bond movies that's what it's like you open the door to where dinosaurs are eating people and go Ugh! and then you stand there for about an hour and 45 minutes and then you close the door again that's pretty much what this is. So it's a piss poor joke from Wayne's World. <laughs> Basically, yes. I mean, it's it's not it's it's not a piss poor film, but it is. Um, they kind of just like like chucked it out there. It, it comes from that period also where it, a lot of the AAA films weren't that good anyway, and it just it, by the numbers mm. almost this one. Same I summer as Batman and Robin. Let us never speak of that summer again. Unfortunately, we're going to have to. Coming up next, folks. Oh, actually, we already did it. The uh, the episode on seven superheroes. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it will never go away, folks. It's uh, it's rather important. Oh, one day, will someone will get Batman right? Maybe. I'm Batman. Um, okay, so anything else? Like, do you, I've got a point here for low points and high points before we discuss this end bit. I mean, okay, well, actually, one point regarding tone. I noticed there's a lot of, I wanted to say, usually it's snobs versus slobs, but in this, it's 
intellectual snob versus financial snob. There's a lot of like, yeah, these people have got loads of money and all they care about is money and fuck them. Let them get eaten by dinosaurs. That's all they deserve. They're easy targets. And, and they're not even really people in this. To the point where at the beginning, when you're, like, you're, you're sneering at the, um, the, the the rich family, you know, on the island. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was like, for God's sake, man. You're like, what about snakes? There are no snakes on the beach, my darling. What about snakes that aren't on the beach but crawl out near the beach where your daughter's walking? Go for a walk with your daughter, you lazy shit. <laughs> That's just kind of what I felt about that, that guy. But um, you feel better for that, yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, but like, like I said, they they they, they dehumanise the rich characters. Not that I specifically want, you know, defend the rich, but like they they make they make them too soft, too easy to hate, and too um, like they have ab- abandoned compassion for everybody else but themselves. It's I've been watching Avatar uh, this afternoon as well with with Lyra, and they do the same kind of like you know um, the American military industrial complex are absolutely inhuman apart from Letty. Oh, speaking of which, she came back in Resident Evil. She came back in uh, Fast and Furious. Fingers crossed for Avatar 2. Oh, God, no, I can't. You can't kill Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> no. You, no, that's it. Michelle Rodriguez should be a Terminator. Yeah, killable. yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Actually, that would be kind of awesome. No, she'd be great to be the human. No, 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 don't make her the Terminator. Make her the human sent back to defend John Connor. That would be great. Sorry, I'm just lost in the thought of a Michelle Rodriguez Terminator film now. That sounds Michelle Rodriguez is the, the human sent back to defend John Connor. Also, the Rock like sent the, the Rock sent back as the Terminator. Oh no, because the Rock's so, got so much personality. That's why he'd make a brilliant villain. So send back Stone Cold as the Terminator. Look, I love Stone Cold. <laughs> I love him as a wrestler. I really enjoy his schlocky action movies. He's not that good not of an actor. Uh, people always underestimate, coming soon, folks, by the way, uh, how much Arnie actually does kind of act in those movies. He puts a lot of work. Do you remember, uh, if you watch the extras, you, if you watch Terminator 2, you know the, 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 the only way I can describe it is the rotating, the way he, he swings the gun, the shotgun. Mm-hmm. He was practicing that for months to get that right. Yeah. Anyway, anything to not talk about Lost World, huh? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of like other bits that annoyed me. Anyone else like high point, low points and high points? Vince Vaughn. Low point or high point? Which? <laughs> um, actually, you know what? Vince Vaughn being in the film, high point. The character, low point. Because he's a terrible character. He is a bit of a dick, isn't he? Yeah, but it's nice seeing Vince Vaughn try. Do you remember when Vince Vaughn used to try? try? Yeah, those were the good old days. Young and fresh. So the, the the crap that he churns out now, my god. Mm. I, I, the weird thing is with his character is they seem to have set him up as as sort of the charm that um, you know he's this one who's flirty and joined Greenpeace because of it chips. being eighty percent women and and all the rest of it, and then they have him fleb in Julianne Moore's hand, which absolutely kills <laughs> any effort that they might yeah. have made towards. That. Is, is is he going to try and uh, interrupt um, Jeff and Julianne's relationship? No, no, no. He's just spat in her hand. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's the end of that <laughs> one then. Oh, high point, high point, Julianne Moore. 
This is yeah, the film that gives me such a. I, I got such Oscar a crush on Julianne Moore. I got such a crush on Julianne Moore from this film. Yeah, <laughs> understandable. She's, she's she, well, she's enthusiastic, which most of the other people aren't. She's about the only one that has a character. Yeah, and she has something she needs to do. She wants to see if uh, the dinosaurs care about their young, that they're not um, just cold-blooded lizards. And that that would have been the focus for the film if it hadn't been quite so much about the death. That is, underneath it all, what the film's actually about, that the dinosaurs are actually um, kind of fond of their young. But it's just lost so much in the deluge and the chaos. There's that really good bit with the glass when she's like, she falls onto the window and it goes crack, crack, crack. And you're like, oh my God, what the hell would I do at that point? You know when characters get into sticky situations in movies and you're like, just do the thing. And like, you know, just jump over there or grab hold of the thing. When you're on glass like that, I hope no one listening ever ends up like that. You don't really have that much in the way of choices. And whatever you do do, it better be fucking ginger and perfectly timed. Again, I but. hate to be the guy that says this, probably because it's from the book. I'm sorry, I hate being that oh, guy. Yeah. But that 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 scene is actually has tension. Mm. It mm. has real tension to it. Yeah, and the bit with the the I think Empire said this. There are two good scenes: one involving glass, one involving grass. The bit where they're in the long grass, and all that they are idiots going, "Don't go into the long grass." When you just see the trails of the raptors just going, "Right, let's go in, lads," and they start feeding, and it just feels like, "Can the raptor come okay. out and play?" It's basically, you've waited long enough for us. We're here, we're in the film. Yeah. And Yay. you get the one way. And especially because I think it's punctuated by the raptor that just jumps at the guy in, in, with the torch. He's like, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. The street, get the funniest looks from <laughs> everyone we meet. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, God. Good bits. The fact that Tenbo at the end is like, well, I've bagged my Rex. I think I'm going to go now. And he's a little bit like he, he loses his taste for it, which is like, it's not much of a character arc, but he injects just about enough into it. Although at the beginning, when he introduces himself, he just basically turns around and reads from his character sheet. Peter, if you want me to run your little camping trip, there are two conditions. Firstly, I'm in charge. And when I'm not around, Dieter is. All you need to do is sign the checks, tell us we're doing a good job, and open your case of scotch when we have a good day. Second condition, my fee. You can keep it. All I want in exchange for my services is the right to hunt one of the tyrannosaurs. A male. A buck only. How and why are my business. Now, if you don't like either of those two conditions, you're on your own. So go ahead. Set up base camp right here, or in a swamp, or in the middle of a wreck's nest, for all I care. But I've been on too many safaris with rich dentists to listen to any more suicidal ideas. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's, yeah. That's, that, that, you asked for the best hunter in the world. You got me. That's why I'm just da, 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 da. And if you don't like it, blah 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 blah. And it's like, wow. I remember also, how Bob Peck was very understated in the first one. <laughs> it's like case of as well. Um, yes, let me show you. I'm actually a good guy by beating this arsehole up. Yes. Um, although he's not that much of a good guy. Mm, they did stake that baby Rex to the ground at a point that's that's uh, like actively cruel. Yeah, and uh, the excellent sound design there. That was actually a baby camel genuinely calling for its mother. Yeah. I I love that bit. They just cha- I think um, they said they, they they just changed the pitch slightly. Yeah, but it's so authentic, and that that is it mirrors what the what the baby T Rex is actually doing in the film, yeah. which is a really nice touch. And the pteranodon at the end, which like I think it, the pteranodons are in the first book, and they're not in the film, and then they're not in this film, and they're at the very end. It's almost like saying, look, we're going to do a third one. We promise pteranodons or pterodactyls, or whatever you want to call them. Um, 
the sound it makes is actually dental floss. Go. <laughs> <laughs> they just ramp it up and make it sound. I, I love Foley work stuff. I should probably be working in that sort of stuff. But it also possibly drive you insane. It might. It might. You'd be like, every, every time you hear a sound in real life, you're like, I could use that. <laughs> that could be this. <laughs> oh, old lady snoring. I should record you. You will be my walrus. <laughs> Good. That's a little Foley artist joke because usually it's the other way around. They use walruses for everything else. For everything. There was actually was it walruses whistling uh, and yeah. ending up with, like the, repeatedly the in the ambience in, in this. Like, yeah. And yeah, they um, uh, the the stegosauruses are nice. Like them, they're handled with a bit of reverence. I think it might be time. I think it is. Ay ay ay. Right. <laughs> the the the. Can't think of the right way. T Rex takes it. Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> Only it's San Diego. <laughs> and still better film than Jason takes Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, that was my favourite Friday the Thirteenth film. But he's not in Manhattan for he's in New York for like ten minutes. I know. <laughs> it's expensive to film in New York, guys. <laughs> anyway, um So like I'm sure this has been mentioned on many of those reviews before. Uh before and since, but before and since, that implies that there will be more after this review. It, people will ask it from now on until the day the film explodes. Sorry, hang on. <laughs> what the hell am I talking about? That, that, that sound you're hearing in the background is Alex's train of it's thought Alex's derailing. brain of thought not working. What the fuck happened on the ship? Okay, like the yeah. ship crashes. The T-Rex, the, the bull Rex is in the hold... There's a guy's hand holding the no button and it's been, like the guy's been bitten <laughs> off it and there's another guy's hand. Like the, the ship is populated by disembodied hands on buttons. <laughs> the only way this theory makes sense, right, is if there were raptors on that ship. But there's no and sign the, of raptors. The t- that's because they should have been a post credit scene where we see raptors running around San Diego or a raptor or something. That's the only way that that makes sense because, yeah, but I the never raptor got wouldn't cut the guy's hand off. It would kill the guy. It would, it would pounce on him and eat him. Also, how long... Did it, hmm. The other question is, how long did it take that ship to get from Isla Nublar? Sauna. To Sauna. I was getting but it gets from the island to San Diego. It's got to take some time. Several hours. A days, surely. Because time for Julianne Moore to put on some makeup, it would appear. Because she's not made up on the island, and she is made up for this sequence. They've got they they've got um the press and shareholders out in the wee hours of the morning. Their exact words. They don't do that. They don't bring a captive bull Rex out of its ship, which takes hours. I might add. Like you, you know, when you like remove stock from a ship, it doesn't happen like this. And you don't unveil your Rex, sedated, captive, looking kind of miserable, sore and sorry, at the wee wee hours of the morning to some deluded, like to some, like they're not even shareholders. They're the PAs of shareholders who've been sent down and tired press. Like you go, look, it's a T Rex. They exist. That's how we're going to invite it to the world. No, you fucking weren't. You wait till the park is ready. You have a big grand unveiling for the press then. What the hell? Like, in no world would they hold a press conference here. And that's like, that's... Sharon, is that the bit that makes the least sense about this scene? 
That is the bit that makes the most sense about this scene. And then, like, they stare at the ship coming in fast and go, hmm, ship's coming in fast. Probably shouldn't really be standing here. Yeah, ship's definitely coming in fast. It's coming in fast! And then they run back because it's coming in fast. She's it. All right, um, just just because I got curious, it's nearly four thousand, well, three and a half thousand miles between Costa Rica and San Diego. Oh, nice, thank you. It takes nine hours to fly, sixty hours to drive. Oh my god! Google uh, Maps. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god, I'm fascinated. Did they literally say it's a two-hour flight? Yeah, it's just a couple of hours. They say. Well, maybe nine is a couple of hours. Maybe Isla Sauna is a couple of miles off the coast of San Diego. <laughs> but uh yeah either way um rex ends up in san diego shouldn't but steven spielberg said literally i want to have like a godzilla type movie with the rex running around <coughs> san diego you know just running around a populated area causing havoc but only for a bit that's all we need uh, steve you know sabalba's available if you want to have him in this scene all credit for the turkey neck impression to we hate movies and that was the end of his book. I don't know. How does the end of the book actually end? <laughs> no dinosaurs leave the island. So, so basically, they gave, they gave us a big climax, um, and uh, it's kind of one of those like head-scratching climaxes. What was your reason why this doesn't work, Sharon? Um, what, in terms of the visuals? or uh, well, Visually, uh, I mean, like, uh, well, my, story-wise, my basically, argument... the, the T-Rex has, butchers lots of people, and that's actually a national tragedy. It's it's not something to be laughed at or cheered at. <laughs> Mitch was actually explaining to me what the oh, the originally planned ending was. Oh yeah, what was that? Terrible. Oh yeah, right, the, shit. The um, original ending. Shall I just go straight into it now then? Yeah, mm-hmm. go for it. Yeah. So the original ending, uh, as detailed through pictures of the storyboard in the special features, oh, right. was that two. Um, I don't think it said whether they were pterodactyls or not, but some flying dinosaurs. Were oh, they attack the helicopter yeah, and like get chewed and, up in it. Yeah, one. There were two of them, and one gets chewed up in the rotary blades, and yeah. then it doesn't really show what happens to the other one. But they just sort of loosely show what was going to happen. But then Steven Spielberg said that he wanted this Godzilla moment, like you mentioned, um, and they changed it pretty much on a whim to he, him him wanting the T Rex to be on U.S. soil. Um, and to get his sort of Godzilla-esque moment. Um, and, yeah, I think both would have been... I think th- this the, the one we got was was ridiculous and far-fetched, and the, the original one just seemed a bit sort of lacklustre. The issue that I have with the whole San Diego section is that you've, you've spent a film and two-thirds building T-Rexes up as this big... Um, dynamite monster. Um, it's the the towering menace, the thing that comes in to save everybody from the horribly aggressive and and nasty little raptors. Um, it's it's the the big bad, right? You then go from a T Rex in its natural environment, where it's surrounded by um, correctly scaled. Uh, undergrowth and uh, other smaller dinosaurs that emphasize how big and how scary it actually is and how dominating it is of its natural environment. You then put it in a tarmacked environment with great big buildings towering over it, vehicles three times the size of it, 
And yeah, all right, admittedly, a lot of people running around quite small, but then you surround it all with neon lighting and it just looks tiny. It's not Godzilla. It's not a multi-hundred feet tall beastie. It's suddenly just a big animal in the wrong place. It's kind of no different to like, well, I suppose it's a little bit different, but it's like an elephant running amok. Something we think of when we see in yeah. nature is massive, but you bring it into our everyday society, our everyday surrounding, and it gets lost in... It gets lost in just how our society is. Exactly. And also, the, the T-Rexes in the original park are scary because they have no way to tackle it. A T-Rex in San Diego, you just scramble your nearest fighter jet and T-Rex down. Yeah. And you'd feel sorry for it. I felt like worried that bad things were going to happen to the T-Rex. I think you're supposed to. That's why they're luring it back with the, um, like, you know, they're they're there to technically save the T-Rex and its baby. And you're supposed to be sort of rooting for it. And I suppose, you know, that you're right there. But you never think for a moment that they will, that they will, that they will get eaten. You think maybe the T-Rex might get harmed. There's an interesting parallel with this. Do you remember the original trailer for Godzilla? The 98 yes. one. It Where had like set- a, a T-Rex skeleton and people, kids are watching it in a museum and there's this boom sound, boom. And then a foot comes in and smashes and steps on the T-Rex skeleton. And it's like, our big lizard is way bigger than this big lizard. And then uh, size does matter. And then woohoo, I suppose. And then we watched the film and went, oh, God, what is this? There's no woohoo. <laughs> and the film does not exist in my memory. There's a bit where the, the T-Rex turns up in the garden, and that's pretty much mirrored in uh, Transformers, produced by Steven Spielberg, where that, uh, I think it's Ironhide, steps out of that girl's swimming pool, and she goes, Are you the Tooth Fairy? Only in this, the boy stares at it, and the dinosaur stares back at it, and then he goes to his parents' room and goes, Mom, there's a dinosaur. And they're like, they argue with each other, and it's like tone completely wrong for this moment. you know. And then they go in there, and they see... The dinosaur has eaten the fucking family dog and it's got the doghouse like sticking out of its mouth and the parents scream and the little boy takes a photo dispassionately with his camera. And I thought, no, you know what? If I was a seven-year-old kid and there was a family dog that I'd grown up with and I really cared about it, the moment a T-Rex, as magnificent and amazing as it is, eats my dog, I'm all about the fact that my dog's just been eaten. Yeah, and how dare they suggest that boys are so fucking sociopathic that they would just go click click? I got a photo of it. <laughs> this is going straight on my Instagram. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? In this day and age, that joke would work. Yeah. <laughs> I what this? Or they at least make reference to the fact that aren't you going to be upset that Skipper's dead? No, yeah. ma'am, I'm tweeting this. <laughs> <laughs> they make a point of so it. So many likes. Yeah. I'm going to be an internet superstar. I, I, this, this bit really irritate me because I, I hate it when dogs get killed oh. off in films because I, dogs are my favorite animals. And um, it, it's like the, <laughs> I, I use this example with Neil off, uh, off air that the, the only character in the day after tomorrow that I cared about was the homeless guy's dog. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they just threw that away, like we said, and just the T-Rex eats the dog, that annoyed me. Uh, dogs uh, yeah. in fridges here's how you do that you have the t-rex like put its eye down towards the kennel and look in and you get the dog looking really fucking worried 
and then the parents scream, the T-Rex looks up, and then wanders off, but doesn't eat the dog. That way you have the yeah. tension without the horrific moment of a family. I, it sounds I, weird that I'm objecting to a dog being eaten when all the people have been horribly eaten as well. I object to yeah. them being eaten as well. Yeah, I, yeah but I it's, just, it's not the dog being eaten that you're objecting to, is it? It's the complete lack yeah. of response from the people around <laughs> Specifically I, I, the kid. Yeah, I love I love the way the little Voldemort there, parents. When, when he when he goes into his parents' room and says, "There's a dinosaur in the back garden." I love the look on the parents' face. Just like, well, we failed as parents. He he's gone completely mad. He's insane. Until they realise that he's not mad. And they're bitching about the fact that he's got a fish tank in his room. The fucking hallway lights are on. That's why he's awake. <laughs> there is that. Small point, by the way. To the best of my knowledge, San Diego is a warm place. Lovely. You look at the duvet those parents are under <laughs> and the pyjamas those parents are wearing. They are roastingly hot. You have new deleted scene. The mom is naked. You're welcome, audiences. <laughs> and in fact, the dad is naked. You're welcome, all audiences. <laughs> Frankly, that would make more sense in my head. Yes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, the Rex stampedes around. A lot of Japanese businessmen run away from it going, Ah, Godzilla! Uh, yeah, I can't get it. And, like, he, he nudges a, a, a bus... And David Kep, the screenwriter, like he's running down the street with the tide of what is actually mostly the crew of the film. Um, and he rather foolishly tries to go into a shop and then the T-Rex eats him. And there's this kind of, ah, squidgy squidge sound. It's all done for laughs. And it's like, <laughs> if you play every dinosaur death for laughs, you actually suck the, the power away from the dinosaurs. That's the thing. If they're just killing people for your amusement, then it might as well just be a bunch of falling safes falling out of the sky and crushing people to death. <laughs> That's basically what it comes down to. Um, you know, yeah, if this was... you think about the first one, they only played. You can, you can sort of say they only played one death for for the comedy. They played. No, two. Nedry's death is also played for... I for, don't know. Nedry's uh, death is kind of comical, but it's also terrifying. It's got a nervous, terrifying comedy to it, but it's an extremely well-honed scene. They they balance it, and you're sort of like... You're slowing back and forth because you don't know what's going to happen, but you know that you are much more wary than he should be. And uh, and that's where the tension lies. Gennaro's death, obviously, um, it's like, well, it serves you right. You abandon two kids, uh, but, you know, clever girl. That's a moment where you panic because, like, oh, my God, if this most incredibly prepared man can die, well, then anyone can die. Um, uh, but in this, everyone apart from the heroes die. So it's kind of like it's open season. It is, yeah, Jurassic Park 2 open season. Should have been what it was actually called. <laughs> it's open season on humans. The dinosaurs are running amok. And, yeah, they, they get the dinosaur back into the ship, and it's all very neat. And then, um, you know, Oggy Doggy and Doggy Daddy share a little moment where he's like, you know, you go go on and make your first kill there, son. And uh, then, yeah, the, the little baby Rex goes in and kills um, Hammond's nephew, who actually refers to Hammond as, as Hammond at one point. Like, it's his uncle. You know, he would just say, my uncle, wouldn't he? Evidently not, because he's that much of an arse. It yeah. feels like that might have actually been a, a, a fragment of an earlier script before they changed InGen from uh, Biosyn. Either that or the writer just plain forgot he was supposed to be his nephew. It, it seems really awkward. Yeah. 
Oh, back to the whole uh, intellectual snobs versus uh, financial snobs. Careful. This suit cost more than your education. I mean, basically, uh... that, that line right there is like, you hate this guy, don't you? And understandably so, because, I mean, he's a, he's a cartoon. And then he gets drunk for that Skype call. He's like, sir, as you can see, we've got a triceratops. Everything's going quite well, don't you say, shareholders? And it's like everyone gets drunk uh, at that big dinosaur party. We've called all the dinosaurs. It took us about three hours, and that's fine, and we're going to take them back to our zoo. And, that, like, Sharon, you pointed out that Tembo appears to leave half a bottle of Glenfiddich scotch right next to the baby T-Rex. Yeah, he does. Like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm done drinking this. It just goes down here next to the baby T-Rex, I think. It's just basically, it seems like everyone making this film got drunk for the midsection. And the rest of it was all, like, gearing up for the hangover. And it's like, you can almost feel like, oh, oh I'm going to feel this in the morning. Let's just get the T-Rex back on the boat. So, yeah, that's that's the Lost World. And, and it ends, they somehow managed to rescue this bollocks by giving you kind of a really nice, like, closer from Richard Attenborough going, you know, we must let the dinosaurs exist in this wonderful, peaceful, uh, uh, natural spot that I, we have made for them. And uh, just, just the creatures require our absence. I love that. That's a great a little little sentiment. And then it shows, like, some T-Rexes prowling eight feet away from some completely nonchalant stegosauruses. Like, just like, keep moving, guys. They're not going to attack us. They'll only go for the little weak ones. Yeah, keep moving, guys. It's the end of the film. It's the happy shot. No, I've, I've seen the land before time. The stegosauruses will go, ah, shark tooth! And then charge <laughs> off. That's how Jesus. it works. Jesus. And then, yeah, you do get that really nice little um, uh, uh, um, Tyrannodon moment where it goes, ah! Hey, baby! <laughs> <laughs> Next time on Jurassic Park. Basically, yeah, uh, that's, that Pteranodon is the perennial Terence Howard war machine. <laughs> I was about to say, they'll probably recast me, though. <laughs> yeah, they do recast him as a really awkward, weird animatronic thing. or poss- I can't remember if it was animatronic or CGI. It looks bad either way. Uh, but uh, is that the worst scene in Jurassic Park 3? Yeah, was that Neil's head just hitting the table there? <sighs> anyway, um, so I mean, anything else to say on the Lost World? It's it's a mess, really, when we put it like this. It is this. a mess, but it's still kind of fun. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it it's fun. fun to step back into that world where you have it's the thought of adventure on this island with the dinosaurs. That's fun. The story's not great. Some of the characters are really lackluster, but. It, it, it's 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 a ride. It's it's not as fun as the the first film, but it has its moments. There are certain things about its story that I want to be the case, such as the dinosaurs caring about their young, such as uh, Hammond uh, becoming a naturalist, such as uh, Malcolm being dragged back into the fray, such as Lex and Tim not being traumatized by the events uh, to the point where you know if at the end uh, of the, I mean, like you just assume that the animals on the on the first island. Uh, are going to either carry on living through some weird genetic quirk, like they eat lysine-rich plants, if they're herbivores, and then the carnivores eat the herbivores, um, which is a nice sort of, like, get-out clause. Uh, oh, by the way, I mentioned the, the bit with the shaving can. is like, oh, that's a that's a like, great... I always thought it was a great crowbar for a sequel. That was totally going to be the crowbar. Like, this is where the sequel comes from. Mm-hmm. But uh, they went with... Uh, Crichton wrote something completely different in the end and didn't even, even need to go back to that can. Now, but... 
Jurassic Park 3 actually has things that I don't want to be part of the continuity and I would happily wipe it from the series if I could. So and we'll talk about that in a few days' time. But um, but yeah, if it went Jurassic Park, The Lost World, Jurassic World, that would kind of be an okay... Tri- I don't know. No, no, the Lost World might even be worse. We don't know. But, I, I, you know, if, if we could wipe three, maybe... From the record, that'd be fine. It, 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 that's more just a case of me being okay with the Lost World being part of this continuity. Well, the, you, you mentioned the the just canon for rewriting cream. shit this year. So I carry on. <laughs> you mentioned the kind of shaving cream. Uh, Spielberg said in the special features as well that maybe one day they will find that. So I know that Jurassic World takes place on the original island, Island Nubla. Oh, cool. Nubla. So, so maybe there's going to be the can of shaving cream in Jurassic World. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see in a few uh, weeks. Considering that there's actually an original cast member in it, probably not. Henry Wu, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. B.D. Wong, who got killed in the book. So this is definitely out of book continuity, if we didn't yep. already need to know that, since mm. Hammond's alive and uh, Malcolm's alive. Uh, also, isn't wasn't the guy in the original book who helped them with the sick triceratops named Harding? Yes. No relation to Sarah Harding. Nope. Just two completely different Hardings. Mm. Yep. There's apparently a Harding it in the Jurassic say. Park game as well. But not Sarah Harding or Mister Harding. Uh, uh, according uh, to what I've read briefly, because I am going to be playing the Jurassic Park game shortly. Are we talking about um, the Lego the... Jurassic Park game or the Telltale Jurassic Park? Telltale. The Telltale one. You uh, actually appara- play as the vet. Yeah, Who's apparently uh, the Harding in the Jurassic Park Telltale game is uh, Jess and Sarah Harding's dad. Okay. Cool. <laughs> 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 hey, at least I've been on a show and didn't make everyone cry. Yay. That's an achievement. Um, Sharon, anything to, to finish, finalise on this one? Because I think we're done. No, I don't think I have anything else I want to mention i honestly expected to like this one more going in but i think just like because we'd gone on and on about every fragment of jurassic park being like so finely honed it just made it so um it was so starkly contrasted with this one Mm. but there's worse still to come oh yeah just when you think it couldn't get any worse we get that freaking dinosaur it's not just that. That's just one of the elements. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's one of my main things. To you know go back to my bivouac thing, we've got to ask why there's a massive hole in the roof. And, like, the bivouac's actually only made of old toothpicks and snot-ridden tissues. This was a film that made me fall out with Joe Johnston, who's done films I really like. It made me not like Captain America for the first few years until I realised it's actually really good and he's a decent director. Of course uh, it is, because he dropped the rockets here. Yeah. Yep. Yes, he did. Um, but uh, yeah, Joe, wait, yeah, yeah, your film's in for a kicking. Sorry, but uh, but we do like some of your other stuff. Honest. I now really I like Captain America: The First Avenger more every time I see it now. I, okay. I need to go back and watch The Rocketeer just to see how well that holds up. Yeah, Jennifer Connelly. Very nice. And oh yes, the wolfish Timothy Dalton. Let's go. Let's go watch The Rocketeer, folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very very much to my guest Neil Taylor of Game Burst sorry for being, being the guy that says the book is better but I'm sorry the book is better <laughs> it is it can't be worse from an alternate view on movies and Game Burst Mr James Perkins thank you for coming back thank you very much for having me back 
And we'll see you in a couple of days for ugh, JP3, the wankening. <laughs> no, it's not as bad as that one. I recall the time they found those fossilized mosquitoes, and before long they were cloning DNA. Some irate velociraptors Well, believe me, this has been one lousy day Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark All the dinosaurs are running wild Someone shut the fence off in the rain I admit it's kinda eerie But this proof Chaos theory, and I don't think I'll be coming back again. Oh no! I cannot approve of this attraction, cause getting disemboweled always makes me kinda mad. Tyrannosaurus ate our lawyer Well, I suppose that proves They're really not all bad Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark All the dinosaurs are running wild Someone let T-Rex out of his pen I'm afraid those things will harm they sure don't act like Barney And they think that I'm their dinner Not their friend Oh no Sorry.